Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor coming alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. I'm excited to interview a guy I've been seeing from afar over the last few years, but uh, just basically on Instagram and a little bit on Facebook here and there, wherever I've seen him, I've just seen his name floating, floating around, but I'm talking to pastor Stephen Unthank. Stephen, how you doing, man? Good, man. Good to see you. Yeah, absolutely. Why don't we go ahead and pray and then we'll learn a bit more, a little bit more about yourself and family and ministry and all that kind of good stuff. And, uh, and we'll go from there. Uh, Father, we just thank you so much for your grace to us. I just ask that you would lead this conversation. I pray that you would help people who listen to be encouraged, to be strengthened, emboldened, as we navigate all that's going on in our, in our lives, in our churches in 2020. And Lord, I trust that you're going to do that. I thank you for Stephen, for your call in his life. And I thank you for his family and the good work that you've called him to. And so I pray that you would lead this time. I trust you will point us to Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, for those who don't know you, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself and then your family and then what it is that, you're, what it is that you do. Yeah, sure. So again, my name's Stephen Unthank. Uh, I am... Uh a pastor out in Greenbelt, Maryland at Greenbelt Baptist Church. It's a small church that's been around since uh, 1958. Uh, I've been a pastor here for the last six years, the senior pastor for the last three years. And again, we're right outside of Washington, D.C. Um, I, can, I can throw a rock and hit the border of D.C. from our church. Um, uh, married to my wife, Maricel, for uh, almost 10 years now. Two kids, my son, Ambrose, my daughter, Lilu. And, um, and then I, I also spend uh, quite a bit of time throughout the week uh, tutoring. So I'm a tutor for a local uh, Christian, classical Christian co-op, uh, right? So home, homeschooling families who twice a week will gather together and I get to uh, teach worldview and a history of ideas and... Um, uh, introduce the kids to things that that cause great argumentative discussions at dinner at home with their parents. <laughs> that sounds that sounds like fun. Very very good. A lot of good stuff. Um, all right. Well, let's go back to your beginning with your walk with the Lord. When it was that you were converted, and then we were just talking about my library, but I'm staring at your library right now, and I see John Owen back there. I'm looking at a lot of different Banner of Truth complete sets that you've got on your wall. And uh, so tell us about when you were converted, and then how did you get into the Puritans? We'll get into your call into ministry here in a little bit, but it looks like you've got a lot of good stuff back there. So tell yeah, us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, I didn't grow up a Christian. <clears throat> um, my dad worked for the State Department, uh, and so we, I, I grew up traveling all over, um, lived in places like Cuba, Panama, Zambia, South Africa, Venezuela, and then wow. finally moved, uh, moved here to Maryland um, around high school age. Uh, and I, you know, I, my, my time at public high school here in the States, I think was typical of most other unbelieving high school students uh, here in the United States and did what I did to fit in and try and be cool and do all the things that everyone else did. I, I, I followed the, the patterns of the world. Uh, and it wasn't until my senior year where different friends were giving me the gospel, um, praying for me, 
Uh, I had started dating a young lady who was a Christian. In hindsight, she was a fool for dating me. That should not have happened. But in God's sovereign mercy, uh, used her and, and all these other friends to kind of, um, you know, bring the gospel to bear in my life. And, and so when I was 18, 2001, you know, I for the first time felt conviction of sin. Mm -hmm. um, and, and for the first time, I really picked up the Bible and started reading through it and uh, found myself desiring the things of the Lord. So I, I became a Christian when I was 18 and um, uh, quickly, quickly went off to um, college as a brand new believer in God's providence. Again, it was a small state school. Okay. And uh, so there, there wasn't a lot to do. You either, uh, you either partied hard which a lot of kids did and kind of ended up going back home after the first year, or you said, I'm, I'm going to study. And, and since I just became a brand new believer and gotten all my partying out of the way in high school, I right. said, I'm going to study, uh, uh, became a philosophy major. And, um, and so this is kind of leading up to my call, but uh, because the professors were all um, for the most part, atheists and uh, very existentialist in, in their kind of philosophical point of view, yeah. uh, but also incredibly kind people, thoughtful, kind, unbelievers. That, um, that was a kind of rude awakening for a brand new believer. Uh, like, hey, you guys are thoughtful. You don't yeah. believe what I believe, but I like you and you like me. I don't know what to do with this. Mm -hmm. The classes were small enough so that, um, you know, if we didn't get through any given lesson during class, the professor would invite the whole class over to, to, to his house and he and his wife would uh, give us dinner and we'd continue our, our lessons. And so what that did was, I think in God's providence, force me to really dig through why I believe what I believe. Okay. Uh, and so I started reading systematic theology and uh, started reading, you know, different apologists. I, you know, this was back in, 2002, 2003, I discovered guys like Ravi Zacharias and R.C. Sproul. Uh, yeah. I read a C.S. Lewis book for the first time in my life. And so all these things are, are beginning to swirl and, and form, form my mind. Uh, and it, it was kind of out of that, that culture um, that, that I, I said, hey, I think I like talking about God, about the Bible. Um, and, and telling other people about these things. So that was a push toward ministry. Okay, so then what was it specifically? Then you've got this internal call that's developing. Did other people come alongside and say, hey, we see this as well? Was it local church pastors? Like, how, how did that external That's call? great. So, yeah, um, when, I, um, when, I, um, when I first became a believer, right, I started going to that young girl's church. Okay. Uh, uh, and again, this is, this is God's sovereign grace. It ended up being a good church, okay. just, wow. just healthy, good theology. Mm -hmm. uh, and so every summer and Christmas break, I'd go back. Now I, I'd stop dating this girl that, that kind of filtered out. Um, and um, uh, so when I was graduated college, I said, well, this is the only church I know back home. And I started going there uh, and got involved with like the youth ministry and all that. And there were elders and pastors there who were saying, um, yeah, th there's something here. Mm -hmm. uh, some of the pastors there were professors at a local seminary, uh, okay. Capital Bible Seminary. Okay. And, um, and they said, hey, Steve, you should, you should get some real training. Uh, it'll be great because we can, 
you know, we can mentor you here at church. Mm-hmm. We can train you more theologically at the seminary. It, it just seems to be a good fit for you. Right. So I said, okay, I'll do that. And, um, uh, and yeah, over time, um, the internal call of, hey, I think I really like this mm-hmm. was developing more and more. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, older, wiser guys um, and, and, and older women, too, at the church mm-hmm. uh, were saying, huh, we, we see some pastoral gifts within yeah. you. Um, so, it, yeah, it all kind of coalesced over time. That's awesome. Yeah. So then was this a Reformed Baptist church that you were a part of? Was it a Reformed Baptist seminary? Tell us how you get into the Reformed Baptist world. Good, good. Yeah, neither. Um, okay. It was, um, so the church was non-denominational. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a good church. It wasn't a great church. Okay. Um, so they, they had some ecclesiological things that now, from my point of view, I'd say yeah, that that wasn't as, as great. But they were, they were, they were Calvinistic and Reformed. So I, you could compare the church that I was a part of to in the same vein as uh, kind of a John MacArthur um, uh, Grace Community Church. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so therefore, the seminary also was a kind of master seminary East Coast uh, version. Okay. Um, in fact, my systematic theology professor at the seminary um, is now the systematic theology professor at, at Master Seminary. Okay, gotcha. So that was the background. Um, I, uh, I'm not, yeah, theologically, I'm, I'm not there now. They're, you know, the Lord grows and changes people. And, um, and so I, you know, there's a whole host of trends. Um, uh, the, the guy that really mentored me at the time, who was a pastor at that church, he was kind of changing and transitioning as well. Um, so he was um, rethinking, rethinking some of the dispensational, you know, Bible church right. um, theology. And uh, right now he's, he's a Presbyterian. He's um, um, a covenant, you know, covenant theologian, Presbyterian. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was the one who, when I first became an intern at the church, he said, hey, let's, we should go to a Banner of Truth conference. I heard okay. they're great. Um, so that was back in 2007. Mm-hmm. We went and, uh, and it was like, whoa, what is this? <laughs> what world did we just step into? Right. Uh, and we've been going to the conference, the minister's conference ever since. Mm-hmm. Um, so 2007, this is the first year that we didn't go because they didn't have it. Right. Uh, and I would say that that was one of the main kind of theological molding uh, streams that I can look back on and say, yeah, you know, I am who I am today because of that conference. Just okay. wow. year after year, being around other godly pastors, um, yeah. reading, reading their books yeah, uh, and, and hearing just the great expositions that, that really kind of formed me, changed me, uh, drew me out of that, uh, the kind of uh, MacArthur dispensational vein. And I, I'm still grateful for that. You know, I, I love yeah. those guys. Right. Um, so there was that. Um, and then, you know, being here in DC, um, nine marks and Mark Dever, they have a, they flex some pretty strong muscles. Um, so going down to Capitol Hill Baptist church, every chance I could, um, and just sitting in on anything that they would let me sit in on, mm-hmm. uh, that, that really, that really formed my ecclesiology, okay. uh, much more actually than, 
than I think anything I got at seminary. Okay. Uh, just going into Dever's office and sitting quietly, sheepishly in the back, but like listening to all their elders discuss church issues and, um, you know, why membership matters and mm-hmm. what, what's the theological importance uh, and healthiness of church discipline. Why do we have to do that? And those things were like, whoa, this is a whole new world as well. Awesome. Um, so that, that, that strengthened my ecclesiology. And I would say that also kind of pushed me more to being Baptist. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and so when you, you know, when you, when you tie banner of truth yeah. and then the kind of Mark Dever world, um, yeah, I just, I'm not denominationally a reformed Baptist. We are a Southern Baptist church, but, okay. um, we are yeah, too. I'm very reformed. Mm-hmm. I'm very Baptist. And, uh, and that's how those two worlds, I think came together uh, yeah. in my life. Well, I love just throwing those two names around the banner and nine marks have been both really influential. And even with the ministry, they've come alongside and sponsored us and give, given books to, for us to be able to give away and that kind of stuff. And actually next month, so this is the best time of the year to buy books from the banner because you got the Christmas specials and you can get all the half off complete work stuff. And so we're going to be looking at that email before we got on. I know, right? I mean, I love when that flyer comes in every year. So I'm getting, uh, they're going to be sending me uh, Riles, uh, JC Riles, uh, the cloth bound five book set and the expository thoughts on the gospels from Riles. So very excited about that, but we're going to be pushing that next month. In fact, as you listen to this, everybody listening in, it should be the ad because I think this will release in December. So it should be the ad at the beginning of the show. Um, okay. So you left dispensationalism like, you know, eschatology wise, where, where are you at? Are you a, a post mill guy? Or are you a, a, a optimistic on mill guy? Where, where are you at on, on eschatology? Yeah. I, as of right now, uh, I'm, I'm an amillennial guy. Um, and, uh, yeah, you know, that, that's something that over the last five years, I think five years ago, if we did this, I would have called myself a very unsure dispensationalist. Um, but yeah, I, so four years ago, I talked through Bible study on revelation Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, it was specifically that reading through GK Beale. Okay listening to Thomas Schreiner uh-huh. uh, and then reading um, Sam Storms, uh, his book on amillennialism. Yeah. That, those, those three things really, um, yeah, really said, you know, wow, okay, th- there's, there's a lot more I've got to wrestle with and it, it changed my mind. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, as of now, I'm, I'm a comfortable amillennial guy. Okay, well, you're an amillennial guy talking about worldview stuff. And so if you're, if you're teaching worldview at a classical Christian school, tutoring in that way. Where, where did you get into world? It was, it, is it tied into the guys that in the seventies and eighties, the rush Noonies, the, the reconstructionist guys, is it the Tyler, Texas guys that were all tied into that too? Uh, what kind of worldview stuff are you, are you teaching? And it, you know, is it uh, tied into one kingdom, two kingdom stuff? Uh, what's your influences with worldview? Because that is, it's something that last few years has been so crucial. in yeah. my understanding as I'm raising it, uh, two sons and I got a little girl on the way worldview issues start to come to the surface. We're like, my goodness, that we, we've got to get handles on this as a church. So where, where, where do you get into, how do you get into worldview stuff? Yeah. So, um, the, the position just opened up and, and it was a friend who said, Hey, I, I think Steve would be, we would be good for this. Uh, and, and so I took it. Um, and you know, rather than, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I have a main fount of influence. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm growing in who I respect in terms of worldview. And, and I even think right now I'm shifting uh, 
Um, you know, I, I know you and I have a, a mutual love for uh, Doug Wilson. Absolutely. And, um, <clears throat> you know, there's, there's always the, the caveats that, that need, you know, people feel that they need to give with him. But, but, but through and through, I, what I love about him is his, his backbone when it comes to thinking through cultural issues mm-hmm. uh, and, and just his courage to say, look, I want to go where the Bible goes, no matter how unpopular that looks in yeah. the moment. Right. Um, and I, I think everybody would probably uh, communicate things differently uh, because Doug Wilson has a gift to communicate just like Doug Wilson does. Uh, no, one, no one can do that. Um, but, you know, I, I love C.S. Lewis mm-hmm. uh, and, and thinking through cultural issues uh, as best as I can like, like he does. Uh-huh. Uh, I love listening to Al Mohler when, when I can, you know, get the time to listen uh-huh. to his briefing in the morning. Um, and then a whole host of other issues. Bob Inc. is just absolutely brilliant when it mm-hmm. comes to, to wider cultural issues. Okay. Um, you know, Kuiper, I, I'm, I'm less and less of a common grace guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... Um, um, and, and so I'm, I'm rethinking through that, but nonetheless, Kuiper's great to, mm-hmm. to read and, 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 and get under your belt. Um, I, I'm not sure it's so wide and pervasive that, you know, you, you can, there's no end to this. Yeah. I mean, I, and I think, you know, as I've been thinking of thinking through worldview stuff, it is, it's a practical application of the inerrancy and the sufficiency and the authority of scripture into yeah. all of life. And man, with Doug Wilson, one of the things I really appreciate about him and one of the reasons he gets so much heat is that he knows where the battles are and he speaks to that. And it's very easy to be bold yep. in, you know, places in life and in the world where there's not much opposition, but it's very difficult to be bold and accurate and clear, lucid in actually fighting where the battle needs to be fought. And that's what I appreciate so much about him is that backbone to be able to say, Hey, I'm, I'm not going to apologize for anything that God has to say about anything that's going on in this world. Yep. And that's so refreshing. So refreshing. I agree. I, I, I really do uh, lo- love that courage. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll say this too. I do think that uh, more and more Protestants, Baptists, you know, mm-hmm. people in general um, should read more Aquinas. Hmm. Uh, and, um, and I've read zero Aquinas. Well, yeah, right. Um, I think we would do a lot better if we recovered more Aquinas, more natural law. Oh yeah, uh, absolutely. And, and we would have a stronger ability um, to uh, interact. So I just read through earlier in the year, uh, JV uh, Fesco's Reforming Apologetics. Okay. Uh, and I, I thought it was very persuasive and spot on. Um, you know, I know in terms of Reformed Baptist world, um, uh, I, I hate to throw names out here, probably get emails from guys. I don't even know these guys. And they'll be like, hey, don't, don't throw my name out there. But um, um, uh, James Dolezal, okay. right, uh, who's, who's just done great work on recovering a, a more classical Protestant and, and Catholic um, uh, biblical worldview that incorporates natural, natural law that goes a long way in having real conversations with people who think that it's quite okay for a girl to become a boy and vice versa. 
Um, natural law, I think will go a long way in, in having those conversations. That is so helpful. And th- this year for me has been a lot of fun discovering really for, for me being in a complementarian world for the last 12 years of my life, in large part, complementarianism lacks what first Corinthians, um, gives to a significant problem of gender confusion. One of the answers that Paul gives after clear instruction is nature itself. You know, the, the chief problem of gender confusion in Romans 1 is, is rejection of nature. And that understanding of, of natural law is so crucial with gender chaos to be able to speak with clarity, not just in actual texts, which are clearly important, but that general revelation that we have in, in the created order teaches us so much. Uh, I just read a really good book, and I'm going to get uh, afterwards, afterwards, I want to be able to link in, in the show notes what you're just talking about. But I read a really good book by Zach Garris called Masculine Christianity, just read it last week. And it is the best book, the best book, um, bringing the natural law into bear on gender that I've read bar none. I mean, it's the best book on biblical patriarchy. And there's been a big, I mean, I think there's a lot of people who have, have seen complementarianism in some ways being a, a an appeasement or a middle ground, you know, in the eighties with the, with this, you know, the surge of feminism and the, the church's response. Okay. Here's this thing called complementarianism, not wanting to use the word patriarchy. Um, but man, this guy wrote an incredible book. And I think you know, natural law is especially with worldview is so like, how does God, how has God made things to work by the, the mind that he has given us and through basic common sense and through what he's revealed, there's so much to learn there. And my goodness. So uh, Bavink speaks a lot of that. And what was the name of the other one that you said? Um, I mean, Bavink, Aquinas. Uh, the contemporary guys was J.V. Fesco That's uh, okay. on Reforming Apologetics, I think, uh, and James Dolezal, who is um, you know, really big on the simplicity of God. But uh, he, he has a lot of good things, I think, to say in terms of um, uh, natural law, natural theology. Okay, good stuff. All right, let's uh, shift gears a little bit. Let's talk about 2020. Let's talk about COVID. Let's talk about systemic racism, all the stuff that's bundled into uh, 2020, all the fun stuff, all the controversial stuff. Um, So all the challenges that are unique to pastoral ministry this year, how have you guys faced them at your church as an elder team? And uh, what's that looked like for your congregation and for your family as you move forward? And also with the big questions, uh, a book that really was helpful for me earlier this year was, uh, and I got to interview him, Matthew Trella and the Doctrine of the Lesser Magistrates. Uh, the Matterberg Confession that he got translated, and uh, Lex Rex by Samuel Rutherford, um, several, several books on, on navigating God, government, read some stuff by Gary DeMar. Yep. 2020, I tell you what, is going to turn a bunch of people into that general equity theonomist category. It has me, um, and I, I think a lot of more people are understanding, okay, there's significance here to God's law, um, what God has to say versus what man has to say. So what has 2020 done in you and your elder team as you have faced these, these issues? Yeah. Uh, it's made us pray more and, um, uh, um, and made us, I think it's slowed us down to say, uh, look, there's, we've got to be better shepherds, mm. um, uh, praying and, uh, just doing the hard selfless work of visiting, calling, seeing how people are doing. Mm-hmm. I think that's the number one, the okay. big thing that, that, um, 2020 has done. And I'm grateful for that. Yeah. It's a silver lining and, um, you know, God's sanctifying grace is never floating down the lazy river. It's, it's often hard work. And, um, and so I'm grateful for that hard work. Um, I think it's also made us just far more dependent. Um, right. Like 
hey, we, we can't figure everything out. We can't, you know, we had a, we had a, uh, a elder deacon planning meeting at the end of 2019. Okay. And out of everything we planned, and it was a full day, you know, we all kind of like committed our day. We've done zero. <laughs> Nothing has come to fruition. And it's okay, right? Like, right. Uh, everything's been turned on its head. We're living in the upside down right now. And, <laughs> no kidding. And it's all right. Um, uh, we, we've rolled with the punches. Now, in terms of um, you, you kind of segued into like you, you've been forced to read more and think through uh, political categories, a political theology. Yeah, many, I, I, many categories that I hadn't thought thought through before. Yeah. Twenty twenty has thrust me into them. Like I have to, I have to, I have to get a handle on this. Agreed. Yeah, I agree. So, uh, yeah, my my political theology has definitely shifted. I think all of our elders have as well. Uh, and um, you know, thinking like you said, lesser magistrates. I that that's huge. Uh, I'm reading Lex Rex right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, thinking through tolerance and resistance, what it means to be a citizen of heaven, at the same time being a responsible citizen of the city of man. Yeah, uh, right. voting in 2020. Mm-hmm. Uh, what does that look like? I've been pushed as a pastor uh, with that. So I, I don't have a conclusion on this yet. But again, if we had this interview last year, uh-huh. I would have said, hey, uh, Jared, my, my, my general philosophy is that I want all the Democrats in my church to think I'm a Republican and I want all the Republicans in my church to think I'm a Democrat. Right. And by the way, you know, we, we live in a very uh, diverse area. And by God's grace, we, we have that mix. There's, mm-hmm. It's just uh, nothing we've done. I came into this church and it was already like this, very multicultural and very multi-political. Okay. Uh, uh, which is, it's difficult um, mm-hmm. in 2020 to have a church like that. But I've, I've expressed more and more to the church my conviction, a shifting conviction, and I think I have more of a responsibility to lead in areas politically. Yeah. Now, I, I don't know what that means, mm-hmm. and I haven't figured that all out yet. You know, I'm, we're, not, we're, not, we're not church disciplining anybody for voting a certain party, mm-hmm. and I, I, don't, I don't think we need to. Um, uh, but I do think there has to be more of a responsibility on shepherds to not only preach the whole counsel of God, but to apply it as best we can yeah. in secondary and tertiary issues. Yeah. It, gets, it gets gray and, and shaky once you get to those tertiary um, um, you know, implications. Yeah. But the, the more I read the Puritans, uh, the more I read pastors from a hundred years ago, they mm-hmm. seem to be quite okay with that. Uh, and you know, my my heroes, my pastoral heroes of the last 50, 60 years, um, they didn't do that. And what was great about our reformed pastor heroes was that they stuck to the text. We wanted that, right? And we needed that. Mm-hmm. But politically, you know, they 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 also lived in a time that was um, it wasn't so turbulent. Yeah. And you could stick to the text and make only primary applications. And, and that was good. Uh, I'm not, 
I don't know, but I'm just not so sure that that's, that's the case for us anymore. Yeah. There's uh, a better model, older guys who said, hey, the Bible seems to implicate this, and I think our church should go that way. Yeah, it is, it, is, it is difficult. And I think for me, as I've had to process through this, and I'm still arriving at answers as well. Like there's, I'm still in the middle of some theological shifting that's happening in my, in my mind, my heart, as I'm wrestling through texts, as I'm reading and studying and figuring out several different things. And I don't know if I'll ever, you know, arrive in a place that I'll be at for, long, for the long haul. But I do know at this point, what we've tried to tell our people is, okay, if, if we're talking about areas of sin and disobedience, clearly, things that fall in line with God's law. Abortion, you know, is clearly one of those. If we're talking about like economic policies that are, that are different, that's fine. Like you, we can have different, differing views on how economics works and how that should work in society at large. But in these areas that are clear obedience and disobedience issues, yeah. like sin against God issues, yeah. we all have to have unity around that. There's, there's, there's no way. So when I told our people, I was like, hey, you can vote Democrat as long as you're vocally, uh, you know, as long as you enrage, you're enraged at abortion, <laughs> you know, like as long as you hate it. Yeah. And, uh, but I tell you, it has been confusing for pastors. I think has been for us and uh, it's yeah. required us to think through um, so many things about God, politics, his law um, yeah. and how that works. And I think that that's what it's exposed that we don't, we don't really understand how government works as a, I'm saying we, the church in general doesn't understand how the authority of scripture applies to the Christian congressman yeah yeah that's right i i think you're right and um and i there there are guys that i look up to who you know are either to the left or the right of this conversation um and and there's wisdom there's wisdom in in, in hearing all those voices mm-hmm. uh, i just yeah i think one of the one of the graces that god is giving to the church right now is to help recalibrate us mm-hmm. in terms of how the gospel actually plays out in economic issues, yeah, in, in political issues, and uh, and what role does a shepherd have in at least laying the issues out and saying, "I think the Bible, I think the Bible goes this way." Yeah. Okay. Well, let's uh, let's shift a little bit again and just ask, what is there to be hopeful for? I mean, we got pastors listening in, and we're all seeing things like you know, families spending time together, you know, men taking responsibilities in their home. Maybe, maybe it's, what is it that we can be hopeful for about twenty twenty? You know, now the election is gone in a way that majority of people that are Bible believing, Jesus loving people were, you know, they're nervous about, you know, like the great resets happening with all the conspiracy theorists. And now, you know, with what was uh, addressed in Canada just yesterday by the prime minister, there are things that are people are really nervous about, scared about and shaky about. But what is there to be hopeful about um, with what God has been doing and up to in in the church right now? The gates of hell won't won't. um overcome the kingdom of heaven, uh, you know, Christ, um, right here, the great political statement, uh, Jesus is Lord. Uh, I mean, he, he is Lord, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. And, um, and therefore he has called us and is enabling us and is equipping us to go out to all the nations, uh, and, uh, calling them to repent and believe. And, uh, and we get the great, you know, opportunity to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that, that's what we get to look forward to. Uh, when society shakes, um, Christ is sure to keep his church solid. And we can say, hey, here we are. Mm-hmm. Um, um, Jesus is coming back. Uh, and, you know, he has an iron rod. 
He's in heaven right now, Psalm 2, laughing. Nothing is taking him by surprise. And he will come again with a sword gripped between his teeth. And all the, all the government shakes and resets um, will be ultimately reset uh, when he comes back. So, hey, would you repent and believe in Christ now? And look, man, so we, we've been, we've been um, meeting outside. Okay. Uh, the weather's been kind to us, and it still is right now here in Maryland. So our church is in a neighborhood. Okay. Uh, Greenbelt uh, is a rather uh, progressive city. Um, it's an, it was a New Deal city, you know, started by uh, Roosevelt. And, uh, you know, we're, we're just very progressive. And what's great is every Sunday morning, all of our progressive neighbors are walking their dogs and walking with their families as they hear us worship and wow. preach the word. Uh, a couple, of, we're, we're, we're preaching through 1 Corinthians. I'm preaching through 1 Corinthians. And a couple of weeks ago, I was just reading the scriptures where Paul says that murder, um, lying and homosexuality is a sin, mm. right? Now that's, that's just shocking. It's very welcome in progressive cities. But people <laughs> have stopped to listen. Did they really? Wow. Yeah. And, um, and some are taking out their cameras and, you know, documenting, you know, whether or not we're wearing masks outside or not. But, uh, okay, great. You're hearing the word of God. Yeah. And, uh, and some people have come to sit in. We have extra chairs you know, on our front yard where you can come and sit. And they sat. And, um, you know, some, some have stayed, some have not, and, and they hate us even more. But, like, praise God for that. Um, uh, the, the gospel's still going out. And, you know, I, whether, whether you're dispensational, premillennial, amillennial, or postmillennial, we all have hope that yeah. Christ is saving who he's going to save. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I think we ought to be hopeful that he's doing that even now. Amen. It's good stuff. Well, I want to set you up. I do this with everybody. Last question I ask everyone is the same. And it's uh, Stephen Unthank, why do you love Jesus so much? Um, because he's infinitely worthy of being loved. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and I mean that in the full sense of infinite. Um, eternity will not exhaust the loveliness of our Savior. And the fact that he has given himself for a finite, fallen rebel. Uh, I have spent my life and still find myself even now as a pastor in many moments where I'm lifting up my middle finger to God. Mm. And he has said, I love you. And I love you with an infinite love. And, uh, And that love is changing me and helping me to grow in a daily appreciation of my savior. So the fact that I get to know him more and more forevermore yeah. uh, and the more I get to know him, fall in love with him. Ah, what's it's just the greatest thing in the world. That's oh, so good. I mean, he's awesome, isn't he? He's an awesome savior. He's, a, he's an awesome friend. He's a, a great King, a great master. I mean, he's... I, the, the, the number one word that I want every one of my students, my worldview students to come away knowing and loving is the word telos, right? Okay. The intended end and purpose for all reality. Hmm. Um, and every telos, the purpose for everything that is, finds its unity in the telos of knowing, loving, and glorifying Jesus Christ. Man, that's good stuff. Praise God. It's a great way to end. I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. We've been talking to Stephen Unthank. Man, I appreciate it.
Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit theshepherdscrook.co. For care and counsel, please call, text, or email to set up a session. You can follow The Shepherd's Crook on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And please consider sharing this episode and leaving a review on iTunes or whatever other podcast platform you use. And let me encourage you to remember Jesus Christ.